I'm really glad you're here. People are out this week. A lot of people are out this week uh, concerning the three R's, the way I like to put it. Uh, the first R is uh, a retreat. Many of the college students are gone uh, over the weekend on a retreat. The second R is a race. Many within our church are running a race uh, earlier, a uh, hot chocolate race. You're not, obviously. You're here. Great. And the third R is reset. Uh, not I'm not just talking about a clock reset issues of the time change, but also our, our service. We had to drop off our 1030 service because uh, we would rent this space. Our group's got to come in um, earlier today, so we only have one service. So some people have some reset challenges. But you know what? I'm glad you're here. And because you're here, I assume you want to get in God's Word. You want to work hard because today you're really going to have to work hard. We're in Romans, but today you're going to have to work especially hard. So I don't want to mess around. Let's just get to it. So let's go ahead and jump on into the book of Romans. Go ahead and turn there. And I just want to give you a heads up. One of the reasons why we preach through books is because if we did not preach through books, chances are we would never say, hey, let's do a topical message on Romans 2. I mean, can, really, do you even know what Romans 2 is even about? I mean, it's not a familiar chapter in the Bible. Like, have you ever memorized any verses from Romans 2? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. But it's, there's so much that's in Romans 2 that's really encouraging and yet discouraging. There's, there's a lot of good stuff in here. So let's go ahead and uh, start understanding this Romans 2. And to get started, we're going to flip back to Romans 1, verse 18. Look at verse 18 of Romans 1. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's kind of a header verse or a summary verse of the whole section from Romans 1.18 to 3.20. Everyone is guilty of offending a holy and righteous God. The reality of God's existence and ways are clearly evident in nature, yet sinful humanity continues to suppress the truth about God. Remember, it's like a beach ball in the pool. We keep pushing it down. It wants to come up. We have this knowledge of God revealed by what is created, and yet humanity pushes it down, suppresses this truth. So there are no good people in God's eyes. As we said last week, the Disney movies are all wrong. There are no people that are good naturally within their heart. And you should not follow your heart. Not a good idea. God's wrath is on all of humanity. And last week we saw the target of God's wrath is primarily was on the Gentiles. As we looked at 19 through 32. They are the Gentiles. Remember, they were breaking bad and fully deserving of God's wrath. Now we come to chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to 3.8, which will target the Jews. Now, if the Jews were listening to Paul's argument, they would say, yes, Paul, all the Gentiles are breaking bad, but we are the Jews, and we are breaking good. We're breaking good, and we're getting better and better and better. And so Paul is what he's going to do and say, oh, not so fast. And so he's going to turn the table on the Jews, and he's going to say, not only are the Gentiles guilty and under the wrath of God for their sin, but you as well are just as guilty, Jew, and under the wrath of God. So this is kind of where we're going to go in, in Romans 2. I'm going to kind of put up the, 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 the exegetical idea, but it's like this. The self-righteous Jew is just as deserving of God's wrath and condemnation as the pagan Gentile. Now, that, that may not mean much to you to understand that. You're like, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, it, it kind of goes like this. Religious heritage, background, tradition, 
moralism doesn't get you in good with God. Religious heritage does not save. Religious tradition does not save, does not give you a right standing before God. Apart from Christ, we are all guilty before God. And and while I was studying in chapter 2 on the self-righteous Jew, I got really convicted this week because I'm not going to point the finger at the self-righteous Jew or the self-righteous moralist or the self-righteous religious person. I I came to discover this week, and I've known it was there, but man, I have some self-righteous tendencies as well. How how about you? You ever look down on other people and kind of internally assess them and judge them? Perhaps when you're, I don't know, driving? I'm just saying, (laughs) that's why I ride my bike. I just can't handle it. Maybe you, you judge other people in your job. You look down on them, their lifestyle maybe, or, or maybe in your marriage. There was a story this week of a, of, a, of a religious leader who fell into sin and had to leave his ministry. When you hear things like that, what's your first response? Shame, shame, shame. Or is your first response, you know what? I need the gospel. They need the gospel. I think all of us have some self-righteous issues we need to deal with. And this Romans 2 text is is really going to expose us and surprise us that there is hope in the gospel. So let's just go ahead and get to it. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to start with God judges according to the truth. God judges according to the truth. Let's go. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Let's just stop. Let's just stop. Who is he talking to? I mean, is he talking to the Roman Christian church? No, 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 no. He's letting the Roman Christian church listen in on a conversation. He's using a literary device known as a diatribe, where he has a, a conversation with an imaginary dialogue partner. So the Roman church is overhearing this conversation that he is having with his imaginary self-righteous Jew. And and Paul can do this because he's been preaching to the Jews for a long time, so he knows what the response is going to be of the self-righteous Jew. And so they're overhearing this conversation. Because many of the Jews at this time viewed themselves as morally superior to the Gentiles. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not saying that all the Jews during Paul's time and all the Jews during our time are are self-righteous. I could have said the self-righteous Catholic, the self-righteous Protestant, the self-righteous Baptist. I I was sharing the gospel with a Jew this week, and he would certainly not fall in the category of a self-righteous Jew. He wasn't quite sure what he believed or if anything was real. So I wouldn't classify him as a self-righteous Jew. But in this context here, Paul is dealing with the self-righteous Jew. And they were felt like, hey, we have the covenants. We have God's Old Testament promises. And most of all, hey, God gave us the law. We are special. And so they would look down and judge the rest of the world and the Gentiles because of their, their, their lifestyle. And Paul says, hey, 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 you're just as guilty as them because you, the judge practice the very same things of course you might not do the the deviant sexual sins of the gentiles or you might not do the the crazy idolatry of the gentiles but come on jews you got envy you covet you disobey your parents you have issues 
you're just as guilty as the Gentiles are deserving of condemnation and wrath of God. Verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So here, here Paul, he kind of lumps himself in with the fellow, fellow Jews and says, okay, we are the Jews, we know our Bibles. We know the truth. We have some pen and ink going on here. We know the Word of God. And the Word of God says that the judgment of God falls on those who practice such sins. So how is it, Mr. Moral Man, Mr. Moral Jew, how is it that you're going to escape the judgment of God if you are doing the same things as the Gentiles? Come on, explain it to me. How will you escape if you're committing the same sins of the Gentiles? Now, it's not that we can't make judgments, which means rights and wrongs. Do not buy into that culture junk that says, oh, don't ever make judgments. No, 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 no. We can make judgments between what is right and what is wrong. The Bible clearly does it. The issue is when we make these judgments, when we are aggressively steeped in our own sin as well. And this plays out in the Christian world and in your life and my life all the time. So you have parents who are harsh with their kids. Are there any parents out there harsh with their kids? Yeah. You're harsh with your kids. It's almost like you're just pounding on your kids. And yet sometimes you got issues as well, right? Uh, and you can see the same thing of students, like there's, there's judgment upon other students, and yet they have issues as well. But I would say one of the, the, one of the number one places where I see this, the most self-righteous people I know, okay, I'm just going to tell you, some of the most self-righteous people I know are married people. And I know that because I'm one of them. One of the biggest problems in your marriage is self-righteousness. Your self-righteousness. Of course, your spouse is self-righteous too. Okay, we blame them. But you have issues as well, right? I mean, I'm just hitting on the number one thing right now in marriage that you have issues with. So a husband and a wife, they kind of look down on one another, and they lob these self-righteous bombs. Like, I'm just curious if you've ever said this to your husband or your wife, or at least thought it. You ever thought to yourself, you know what? You're so lazy. If you would just be diligent like me, things would be a lot better. Or you can't control your temper. Why can't you be in control like me? You're just a nervous wreck. Look, look at me. I'm, I'm not worrying about anything. I am so calm. Or, man, you just waste money all the time. Spin, 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 spin. Why can't you be wise like me? And, man, you are just immoral. What are you, what are you doing? Why can't you just be faithful like me? Now, I'm not saying that we can't confront one another with the truth. But often when we confront one another, it's, we've got this arrogant attitude that we are better somehow and we want to crush our opponent, our spouse. You're not going to start to deal with your marriage issues and start to, until you start to deal with your self-righteous issues. You are not going to start to deal with your marriage issues until you start to hit these self-righteous issues that are not just in your spouse. We can all agree on that, right? But they're also within you. We need the gospel. They need the gospel. Do you guys want to go ahead and talk to one another right now? I'll do that later. I'll do that later. So the self-righteous Jew, 
thought, you know what? We're going to escape judgment. We're good. And they hear what Paul's saying, and they say, no, 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 Paul, we're going to push back on you and say, you know what? God picked us. I mean, look at all the people out of the world. God came along, and he picked this little scrawny nation of Israel. Yep, you're mine. So God picked us, and so since he picked us, we're special. We have this religious heritage, so that means we're in good with God. Look at verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So this Jew thinks, you know what? I'm going to escape judgment because God's kind and God is patient and the character of God. Wouldn't we all agree? God's kind and loving and patient. But guess what? Just because God is kind and loving and patient does not mean that you are automatically saved. We talk all the time, people say, everybody is saved because God is kind, loving, and patient. But, but you don't understand. God's kindness and his love and his patience is meant to lead to repentance. I read a story this week about a barber in Chicago who uh, led a life, and I'm going to quote here, as a party-going, pill-popping hipster. I've never described a barber that way, but he was a party-going, pill-popping hipster. And even though he was married and he had kids, so all of a sudden, while he's living his life, he was overwhelmed with the kindness of God. It's like, I have a great wife, I have great kids, I have stability, and yet I'm living this crazy life. And so God's kindness led him to repentance. It's not meant for us to say, God's loving, he's kind, he's patient, we're all in, we can live anywhere we want. No, no, no. That's what's happening here. They are presuming on the riches of his kindness. And when you presume on the riches of God's kindness, assume that it's going to be there. You can live anywhere you want. Well, here comes wrath. Look at verse 5. But because you're hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Maybe they're thinking, we're cool with God, we're Jews, we've got this heritage, he's kind, he's patient, we're, we're in with God. But you know what? God's judgment is not based upon religious heritage, it is based upon truth. It is based upon truth. Not your background, not your tradition, not your heritage, it is based upon truth. And these Jews right here are storing up wrath for themselves on the day of God's righteous judgment. So it's almost like God is holding back wrath, he's holding back wrath, he's being patient, he's being patient. Come on, come to repentance. They don't come to repentance, boom, wrath fully poured out on that on the day of judgment because of their hard hearts. They didn't want to acknowledge their sin or their need to repent and believe in Jesus as Messiah. Now, brothers and sisters, this is some pretty serious stuff. I know we're talking about wrath, we're talking about judgment. And this is verses we don't typically cover, I mean, things you don't usually think about. And it's going to get a little bit more complicated. So I'm going to need you to come check in right now because we are not going to check out. You want to understand the word? You're going to kind of, it's going to help you to write. I don't know tech stuff. I don't know. Let's kind of keep tracking here because it can get pretty difficult. So first we see God's judgment is according to the truth. The second we're going to see is that God judges all people impartially based upon their works. God judges all people impartially based upon their works. Look at verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. Got any theological problems with that? Now, before you freak out, understand that believers are saved through faith 
in Christ alone. That is where Paul is headed with his overall argument, and nothing in this text contradicts that. But when God judges our works as believers, we're saved by grace through faith, but part of his judgment of our works is God going to judge works that have been produced by faith. And we're going to see some other text if we studied outside of Romans where this faith that produced this works, so there's a Corinthians passage, 2 Corinthians 5.10, that talks about God rewarding these works. We're saved by grace through faith, but there is these works that he rewards, and that's another topic altogether. And so don't spend all your ethos community time tonight talking about that, all right? But that's another topic. We're going to deal with it some other time. So let's get back to the topic here. Paul has left his dialogue partner behind, and he broadens out to all of humanity to focus on the impartiality of God. God impartially judges all based on works. Back to verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. Who, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality, and that is the main point. So the Jews, you're not going to get a pass because your religious heritage, but you're going to be judged based upon your works, and so is the Gentile. Now the tricky part here is, it is a tricky, how do we understand verses 7 through 10? Verses 6 is clear, verse 11 is clear, how do we understand verses 7 through 10? 10. That's where it gets a little tricky. Now, there's two interpretations, and I rarely do this, but all week as I study both interpretations, I have no clue which one I thought was the best one. Sorry. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to make these decisions and make it easy for you, but I'm sorry. I couldn't do it this week. So there are two. I'm not going to share both. I'm just going to share one. Any, meeny, miny, mo picked one. I'm going to go with it. But one of the interpretations says that the works talked about here are the works produced by Christians. Those works do not save them. They're saved by grace through faith, but out of that grace through faith produces works. That's one interpretation that God somehow takes into consideration these works, not to save a person, but it's just part of his judgment. Let's not get into that interpretation. Talk about it another time. But the ter- interpretation I've, sh- I've chosen to share with you this morning is this. I'm going to put it up for you. This is talking about the standard of salvation apart from Christ. Absolute obedience. If you want to be saved apart from Christ, you can. You have to be absolutely perfect, always. Okay? Can you pull that one off? Now, that's what, kind of what he's getting at here. So this is the person who presses on with the NIV, says persistence perfectly and good works will get eternal life. Yet the opposite is seen in verses 9 through 10, where this is tribulation and distress for every human being does evil to Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. It's more of a hypothetical view that Paul is giving here to show that God is impartial and everyone will be judged based upon those works. Those who are absolutely perfect will get in and those who are not will be judged. I don't want to be standing before the Lord based upon my record. I don't know about you. He's an impartial judge. Apart from Christ, we're all condemned. Douglas Moo lays out, he's one of the scholars I've, I've, I've studied, took a class on Romans from him this summer. Let me put it up for what he says about these verses. Douglas Moo says, 
Salvation for both Jew and Gentile is available only by doing good. The power of sin prevents both Jews and Gentiles from doing good. Therefore, no one can be saved by doing good. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need the perfect righteousness of Christ. Remember we talked about, why did Jesus have to live a perfect life? Why can't he just come, show up on the earth? Maybe just come down around 30, 32, 33 and just die on the cross and take care of the work. No, no. He had to live a perfect life so that we get his righteousness imputed to us. So when God sees us, God sees us as obeying the law, obeying the commands of God. So we get forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. So God sees us as righteous. We need the gospel. So in Paul's overall context here, everyone falls short of God's standard, and all are judged. And why is Paul bringing this up again? Because he's saying, Jews, you're not going to get special treatment. You won't get special treatment based upon your heritage. You won't get special treatment because you think you're morally superior. You won't get special treatment because you have the law. Because guess what? You can't keep it. You can't keep it perfectly. And because of that, you're doomed we could branch out and address a number of people today that think that their religious heritage or their good works will get them in good with God. It could be the the law-abiding religious Muslim, or it could be the Orthodox Jew, or it could be the Catholic or the Protestant or the Baptist or the Methodist, the person who thinks that their confirmation or infant baptism or even adult baptism or a variety of other the religious activities that they do that somehow God's going to let them in because they are religious people and they have this heritage that gets them in good with God. I used to kind of think like this. I used to kind of think like this. As I reflect back on my life, there was a period before I knew the Lord, a period of, I would say about five to six years, my teenage years, where I appeared, <laughs> appeared, most people that knew me knew that that wasn't the case, but I did a lot of religious stuff. I remember in ninth grade, I took a shop class. Does anybody know what a shop class is? Do those even exist anymore? It's where they let teenagers play with tools. They probably outlawed that, but I took a shop class in ninth grade, and one of the tools we played with, I guess, was like a, a wood-burning thing. I don't know. What am I trying to say here? A wood-burning whatever, and you can draw with it. And so I carved into a piece of wood with this wood-burning thing um, a, 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 a picture of our denominational cross because I was religious. And I used to wear this huge chain with a fish and a cross on it. And the back of my car, I had this huge Christian fish on the back of my car. I had a, had a, 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 had a 1980, uh, 98 Oldsmobile. I had huge bass woofers in the back, pounding the bass. But I had a fish on the back of my car. And, and as I continued... Anybody else do that as well? As I continued through high school, I would go to a variety of denominational conferences. I was really into the denominational thing. Um, I also uh, had, in my senior year, I remember getting pictures and just plastering them of Jesus. Who, who, who's a senior in high school buys Jesus pictures? Bought these Jesus pictures and I put them all around my room. And I, had a, and I got a different car my senior year and I, had, I put on the back of my, my car, Jesus is Lord. And to top it all off, I even went to a striper concert. Okay, it's okay if you don't know who they are. Striper, long hair, Christian, quasi-Christian. Anyway, never mind. So my point is, is that I was on externally kind of sort of religious. 
and I was going through religious motions, and I kind of felt like, man, I'm, this is kind of good. This has got to be good with God. I mean, I can ignore my life, but uh, this is kind of good with God. But what, what was going on inside and externally and in secret is I was ignoring sin in my life and the need for uh, a deliverer. I didn't need a deliverer. I had my external religion. Now, the Jews would say kind of a lot of the same thing. Hey, we're good. We have our heritage. We have our background. And so they're going to keep pushing back on Paul. They keep pushing back. And they say, Paul, if we're not going to get in good with God, then how can we have the law? God gave us his law. And because we have the law, we can now go to heaven because we have the law that we keep it and we go to heaven. This is great. We have the law. So let's have Paul pick up this issue of the law now. Verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So who are the people who have sinned without the law? Who are they? Oh, they're the Gentiles. They didn't have the law, right? Just the Jews got it. So the law is a reference to the law of God that he gave through Israel through Moses in the Old Testament. And it says that the Gentiles have sinned without the law and will be judged apart from the law. God's not going to judge them according to what's on, written on pen and ink, but he's going to judge them, of course, on the same standards. It says the Jews have sinned under the law, so they'll be judged by God with the standard of the Old Testament law. The Jews shouldn't think, hey, you know what? We have the law, so we must be in the clear. But here's the deal with the law. This is what I want you to understand about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments and the rest of the commandments, we can get into those later, but the Ten Commandments... Those aren't meant to save you. You know what the commandments do? The commandments are a standard that reveals your sin. (laughs) So if you're relying on the Ten Commandments to save you, good luck with that. Let me know how that's going. (laughs) They are a standard that is meant to reveal sin. Verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Okay, so outside of Christ, if you put Jesus aside, all right, if you could keep the Ten Commandments, just scrap all the other laws, just the Ten Commandments, you keep those perfectly, boom, you're in. By the way, you've not done that, so don't think you have. I mean, you've lied. Even though you might have committed adultery physically, you've committed it in your heart. You know, on and on, right? Let's not play games, okay? We all know that we have violated the commandments of God. So no one is going to be justified for obeying the law. It's a standard outside of Christ. No one's going to meet it, right? I mean, Romans uh, chapter 3, it says this later, Romans 3.20, we're getting there. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law is just going to reveal your sin. No one can gain a right standing by keeping the law because the law just reveals sin. So the Jews like, we got the law, we got the law, we got the law, we got the law, we got the law. And then Paul's going to say, okay, okay, Jew, let's just calm down now. He's going to say, listen, the Gentiles, they kind of have the law too. You may have the stuff written down, but they kind of got the law too. And look at his argument now in verse 14. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, that's the written here, by nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So they don't have the law, but sometimes, by nature, 
they do what the law requires. Have you ever wondered, like, how can a, a lot of the societies have these general commands where they think, don't kill? They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe in Jesus. Even atheists don't kill. Even some atheists don't commit adultery. Don't steal. I mean, even most societies would say that these things are wrong. Well, how do they know that? And Paul argues, well, there's something going on in their hearts. There's this conscience thing going off. And, and it's not perfect. I mean, we can suppress it, and we do. We can mar it, and we do as cultures and society. But in general, Paul is saying, look, the Gentiles, they have some laws as well. So, like, you can have someone who doesn't believe the Bible at all, who totally may think, it's okay for me to steal. And yet, when someone steals from them, they know it's wrong. They may go out to a bar and hit on a drunk girl and try to take, them, take the girl home and think that's okay. But if they went out the next night with their sister and some guy was hitting on their drunk sister, they wouldn't go be down with that, right? Yeah. So they, they kind of know, right? They kind of know. They're like, there's some right and some wrong here. There's just natural law going on. And so what the, Paul, the point Paul's making is saying, Jews, you got the, the law. That's great. But you know what? The Gentiles kind of got a law going on too. So don't think you're so special. And there's some sense you're special because God has shown you this. That's great. But the Gentiles have a law as well. And it's written on their hearts. And they know some semblance of right and wrong. And the whole point is, you're all judged. <laughs> you're all going to be condemned apart from Christ. And so it brings us to our last point. God judges the secrets of all people according to Christ Jesus. Verse 16. This is our last verse. Let's do it. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. <laughs> so on the day of judgment, both Jews and Gentiles will be exposed as sinners. Their secrets will be laid bare and they will be shown to have fallen short of the glory of God. So I don't care how good you look externally. I don't care if you got a fish on your car. <laughs> I don't care if you wear Jesus shirts. I don't care if you go to church. Those things can all be great, but you know what? We're all sinners, and apart from Christ, we'll all perish. And one day, God is going to do this judgment, and it's going to expose everything, even the secrets. And I'm not just talking about the things you do in secret, but the Bible talks about how the Word of God exposes our hearts, even the intentions and the motivations of our hearts. So we're all going to be exposed to sinners before a holy God, because one day, your secrets will come out. Now, apart from Christ, that's scary. And if we are in Christ, we should use that as, as a gospel motivation to have our hearts open and our minds open before others and before God to receive grace and forgiveness and grow. Jerry Bridges has put it like this, a great author. He says this. He says, we allow in our minds what we would not allow in our actions because other people cannot, cannot see our thoughts. I'm just wondering what's going on in your mind. If you have some secret world going on here of bitterness and envy and anger and lust that no one else sees, and you just allow these maybe fantasies to play out, but you're saying, no, no one sees those. And yet as we're speaking to someone, we're speaking to you, and we say, oh, God does, and those are going to come out and be revealed one day. One, one of my favorite pastors, my wife was a part of his church back in the day, is uh, uh, Pastor Tommy Nelson. He pastors Denton Bible Church out of Texas. And he, he tells amazing stories. But one of the stories he told was of a bivocational pastor 
in the Denton area who also worked, uh, was employed by the city part-time. And he was giving a, a presentation to one of the councils of the city uh, about some project they were trying to pull off. And this is a few years back. And so he had his laptop, I guess, hooked up to the, the screen. And he was going to show them his proposal to the city of everything he wanted to show so they can get the project and pull it off. So while he hooked up his computer, up on the screen, something was going on with his computer malfunctioning or, or, or whatever. It started to show images after images after images of child pornography. So here he is standing before this council and started to lie, lie, lie. But he was busted and he was prosecuted and he was put in jail as his secrets were exposed. One day before God, it's all going to be out there. It's all going to be out there. So you may be religious on the outside. You may be going through the motions on the outside. But it's all going to be exposed. Behind all the religious actions, it's going to be exposed. And, and you think, man, that is scary stuff. But here's, here's where the good news comes in. This is what Paul is driving. He's saying, look, the pagans who repent and find grace in the gospel of the cross can be forgiven. And the same for you too, Jew. Same for you too, religious person, hiding behind traditions, hiding behind your heritage. You, there's a deliverer who's come to forgive you. Self-righteous person, you can be forgiven and find grace and be accepted in Christ who was crucified on the cross, buried and rose so that you can be accepted by the Father. And the good news about this is that it's ongoing good news even for the self-righteous Christian. The gospel is good news for you self-righteous people, including me. This is ongoing good news for us that we don't have to do that. We can be forgiven of our self-righteousness and our arrogance and our attitude of stomping on others because you know what we do? We go, oh, I'm just as guilty. I'm just as sinful. I need the gospel as well. And so it's ongoing good news for the Christian. And, and I was wrapping up the, the sermon this week. I thought, man... If I could just leave my brothers and sisters with a prayer, if I could just leave them with a prayer to pray when they start to feel self-righteous. Like, like if I could just create some prayer, and I thought about writing out a prayer, and you know what? I found one. I found a prayer that you can pray when you're feeling self-righteous. And it's a seven-word prayer. And I thought, man, you know what? I should create a book about this. You know, back in the day, the prayer of Jabez, some random prayer in the Old Testament, you know? It's like, man, millions of copies sold. Well, I found a prayer that's used in the right context and can really help you. It's a seven-word prayer that you can pray when you're feeling self-righteous. Now, let me set the context for you. It, it comes out of a, a context, all right? It comes from the book of Luke. Now, I'm going to read you this story. Luke 18... Verse 9, and it says, Jesus told this parable to some who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Is there, is there anybody in here like that? You view yourself as righteous and you treat others with contempt. It means you look down on them. Well, have we got a story for you. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Don't ever pray that, by the way. (laughs) God, I just thank you that I'm not like other men. Not good. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, remember they're really sinful, right? Standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So there was the prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So I think when you start to live your life this week and um, someone cuts you off and you kind of want to get arrogant with them, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When you are having it out with someone else, perhaps in a self-righteous, arrogant way with your spouse, don't tell them to pray the prayer. (laughs) Remember that prayer that the pastor said? You need to pray that right now. (laughs) No, you pray it. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When you're at work and people are getting on your nerves and you think that you are far better than them, pause. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's like the prayer to combat self-righteousness. And you'll get the mercy, and you have the mercy in the gospel of grace of Jesus. And, and all have it who, who are, have that, that attitude, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I just thank you for the abundant grace that we have. And yes, it is absolute bad news first that we are corrupt to the core. And so much so that we even judge other people rather than looking at ourselves. May your word continue to cut to the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And Lord, I just just sense that right now there are some guys and girls in here who have secret things going on that no one else knows about. I don't even know what those are. I just ask that they would um, want to, in a sense, confess now, find grace now, find help now, and find forgiveness in Jesus. And Lord, for people like me that are so self-righteous and arrogant and proud and judging, God, show us our sin and my need and our need for grace and forgiveness so that we can treat others with graciousness and kindness and mercy. So God, be merciful to me, a sinner. May that ring in our hearts this week. May that be our, in our thoughts and intentions to find grace in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.